Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we have Lauren. Hello. And Jen. Hey. On this week's episode, we'll be sinking our teeth into a whole variety of sensational topics, looking at the senses, starting off with uh, the biodesign steak in the test tube, um, whether or not we can actually really make food that replicates the same tastes and flavours and how that works. We'll also be talking about artificial noses and other senses that we reproduce with machines. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. I'm going to kick off today with our City of Science, which is going to be Maastricht in Holland, in the Netherlands. Um... Maastricht University is actually in the news this week for being the place where Professor Mark Post and his lab team developed the artificial steak. But this university is actually quite young by European standards in this town. It's not only from 1976, but they have a real skew towards um, social sciences, economics and medicine, which is why they're actually um, very interesting that they produce such cutting-edge research on bio steaks. So this is a great little uh, researching community in Netherlands and they have produced an awful lot of content for such a small place. So good on them for doing a great job on this pioneering research. So I consider myself a bit of a hamburger aficionado. Jenny, you hungry right now? Yes, I am, Lauren. <laughs> Would you like me to grow a hamburger for you? What do you mean grow a hamburger, Lauren? Like, what are you going to grow it from? Hamburgers don't grow on trees, Lauren. <laughs> yeah. Are you, no. are you talking about a veggie burger? Or what are you talking about, Lauren? I'm talking about growing a hamburger from the stem cells of the shoulder of a cow. You might need to elaborate. <laughs> how, are you going to, how are you going to grow a circular piece of ground meat from a few stem cells, Lauren? How does that work? So, growing a circular piece of meat from a few stem cells... That seems a bit weird, but when you uh, think about it, what is a hamburger made of? It's made up of minced meat, which is mostly protein. Mm-hmm. So what they were doing was growing the, uh, the muscle tissue, or the protein, in uh, strips, and then just kind of layered it on top to, make, to form the hamburger. But of course, because they were growing it in a, in a test tube, mm-hmm. um, there was no, there's no blood in it, and there's no fat. So it wouldn't have quite the same taste or texture as, or look as normal meat does. But they actually said they actually added in pieces of fat. So they grew fat as well and put that in with the protein to try and replicate the sensation that you get when you eat a hamburger. But they didn't have any blood, which might have been one of the missing textures as well. Yeah. So has anyone actually tried Yeah, so people have been trying for years to actually figure out a way to grow food. Because once you can artificially synthesize and grow food, you're starting to save a whole lot of money in the production of um, food for people. You don't need to have massive amounts of farmland, and then the expensive process of raising, looking after, keeping them healthy, then humanely killing them and packaging them and serving them. So if you can grow the food, you're actually making it a lot simpler. Which is why a lot of people are interested in this. You can also severely reduce our carbon footprint because cattle are a huge producer of methane. Not only that, but the water and energy required to actually raise cattle produces a lot of greenhouse gas. Um, So it's a very energy-intensive process to actually produce a steak normally. So if you can grow it, it might actually be a lot easier and better for the environment. Does this mean eventually we might be going to, say, McDonald's and going, hey, I would like a animal protein burger basically that's the end goal right to be able to produce meat cheaply quickly 
that is meat, but doesn't have to involve the killing of an animal. So there's a lot of ethical benefits yeah. there, but it also involves a lot of environmental benefits. So people are very interested in it. And that's why this project from the University in, of Maastricht in Holland, led by Mark Post, was actually funded by Sergey Brin, the, one of the founders of Google. And a lot of people are actually really interested in it. So this burger that they produced, they made it, and they actually put it up to a panel of taste testers to see if anyone was able to, uh, you know, agree on the taste of this meat. So they've made meat before, and they've done it this a couple of times before. So this is not unusual. But each time they've done it has been weird and not really the same. Yeah. So that's why I think some of the changes in this one was actually the inclusion of fats and the inclusions of layering to try and produce this kind of burger sensation. But did it taste like a burger? Well, the actual results were a bit mixed. Um, they they reckoned that it tasted okay, but it it, it probably tasted more like uh, more like a soy burger than it was an actual burger. It tasted a bit too weird and not enough cultural flavour in the actual taste to to make it to replicate the taste of a steak. So yes, it tasted like chewing on chewing the fat and uh, having a bit of a weird it, but described by a one author and journalist who was one of the three volunteers as being a bit of an animal protein cake, a bit like a protein shake in steak form. So it was a bit of a mistake uh, that first round, but uh, they're keeping on working on it, and a lot of people are interested in it. So hopefully one day we might be able to all eat ethically produced lab-grown meat with a good quality. Um, one of the other scientists, actual volunteers who tasted it, uh, he reckoned it fell somewhere between a, a veggie burger and a McDonald's burger. So that gives you a bit of a range of the taste. And one other person said it was, it did taste very close to meat, um, as it was crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside, like you would expect from a steak. But it was lacking the juiciness. Um, which is one of the big problems. In fact, the other one of the problems was they had to add beet juice and saffron to actually give it the colour that you expect the meat to have. And that builds onto a really interesting part of this when you, we'll talk about soon, which is the way that sight and sound and taste can be affected by smell and a whole other range of factors. So when you eat something, it's a whole number of factors that work into it, not just the physical chemistry, which is really what they're trying to do now. Chemical-wise, this is exactly the same as what you'd be eating from a steak, which is the really cool part. The only problem now is the taste. So soon, Jen, you'll be able to satisfy your cravings with a lab-grown, ethically, environmentally friendly steak. So, Lauren, how would you like to go to a flavour-trippin' party with me? Flavour-trippin'? What you saying? I'm saying we're gonna have a berry, and then we're gonna eat all this other stuff, and it's gonna taste great. We're gonna eat... Lemons, we're going to have vinegar, it's going to be great. I'm sorry, I don't believe you. How is this possible and should I be worried? Well, it's all possible with the magic of miracle fruit. <laughs> I know you're making that up. No, it's true, it's an actual berry, it's from West Africa, it's a little red berry. And there's this protein in the miracle fruit called miraculin that actually affects the way that you taste things. It changes the taste of... It, 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 it essentially changes the way things taste. So sour things become a lot sweeter after you've eaten this berry. So I could have things like a lemon and freak out everyone around you by like eating it straight after taking this berry? Yeah, and it would taste great. It would, it would taste like a lemon lollipop or something. You know, something that's been sweetened. So like lemonade? 
Yeah, pretty much. This is really an interesting type of effect, and it's been known about since about 1725. And uh, but in in 1968 was when we really started to understand the science behind what was going on here, and people looked to actually commercialise this because when you think about it, what's actually happening is you're turning sweet fl- sour flavours into sweet flavours, and so the protein covers the tongue, uh, and it will be it will be washed away eventually by your saliva. So it doesn't last forever. So it lasts about an hour, um, and you can't cook it. So the effect is ruined by heat because it's a protein. So heat will destroy it and cook and change the protein. So you can't cook, you can't eat hot food, hot sour food, to make it sweet. But anything that's cold or raw, like lemon or uh, vinegar as some examples, will taste very, very different. So could you add it as like um, a sauce or a juice on top of other food? Or would you like to you, eat You the... have to eat it first and then you eat that first, it coats mm-hmm. your tongue and then you eat other stuff onto the tongue. So it's actually the interaction with the light, the protein and your tongue that changes the food. Is it just sour food? Uh, so what actually happens, and this is this is really great, it changes sour food sweeter, but sweet food gets slightly sweeter, but it's mostly the same. Mm-hmm. The rest of the foods don't taste that much different. It's just those two flavours that it changes, sweetness and sourness. Is there a reason why it's specifically sourness? And that's that to do with the actual the way the protein interacts with that, that part of your tongue and that part of the taste. So that's, that's really the fascinating part about it. But when they started working with this in the United States in the 70s, they were actually looking at this to be an artificial sweetener and to instead of having to sweeten things artificially, to apply this. And the benefit, the benefit for this would be people with diabetes because the sweeteners are obviously very full of sugar. Or that's, that's, why the, you know, that's how it works. So if you can, but for a diabetic, that's very problematic. So if you can remove the problematic parts but still have the same flavour, then they can have all the sensations, all the joy of uh, the sweetener, the sweetness, without having to have the negative health side effects or having to pump themselves full of insulin. So unfortunately, there's, there's been some work in it, but it's, a bit, it's been a bit restricted by government approval. So it is mo- considered safe and is a natural mm-hmm. produce. But uh, when it starts being turned into medicine, then they're getting a bit more questionable. So there are parties which people hold uh, in the United States which actually, you know, bite where they have these things and they have the berries and then they go and taste all these things and it's really weird. Um, but cafes, like in Japan, are actually doing the same thing. So they snap freeze the berries, ship them over to Japan, and they have a cafe where you have a berry as part of the meal and you have all the rest of these weird food. So it's called like the Flavor Cafe or something like that in Japan. And it's doing incredible business there as well. Think Geek in the United States actually sells the berries if you want to buy some. Yeah, in tablet form. But unfortunately, they don't ship to Australia any of their food product, which is a bit disappointing. <laughs> so if you want to go on a uh, flavour-tripped uh, party, or you just want to actually supplement your diet to have beautiful sweet things without having to have the negative side effects of it, uh, look out for some miracle fruit and the miraculum inside it, and that can really help you on your way. The mantis shrimp. Something mantis shrimp. Yes. As uh, can see many different colours. Okay. And with that, we're going to get into our extrapolation station uh, where we talk about oh, things in the future that we uh, might want to have or might want to change and uh, what could be possible and what's not possible. And the overarching question we're asking here today is sensors. We've talked about the ones that we've got. And what are the five sensors, Lauren? Uh, oh, you're putting me on the spot here. Okay. <laughs> Sight, smell, touch, taste, and hearing. Cool. But what else could we have? 
A sixth sense. Such as dun, dun, dun. what? So we're going to be looking at suggestions and ideas for six senses and what we could use them for. And Jane has a pretty good idea of what she wants out of a sixth sense, and it's not Bruce Willis, <laughs> nor is it dead people. Well, what I'd really like isn't really more of a sixth sense, but an enhancement of one of our already existing senses. So which I'd, sense would you choose? I'd like to be able to see more colours. Would you like to be able to see through time? <laughs> that might be a bit confusing when I'm driving and I just need to see the present and not the future and past all at the same time when I'm looking for directions. No, but I'd be a- like to see more colours. See... Things like UV, infrared, and all the other pretty colours in between that we can't see. But I guess that would be really confusing, because if you started to be able to see electromagnetic radiation of all the spectrum, the world would be really messy, because you would see all the signals from your mobile phone, from your computers, from the background radiation of the universe. It would be great. <laughs> you wouldn't be yeah, able to see. You'd be able to see everything. No, but you need to be able to turn it off. Otherwise, otherwise you'd go mad. Well... Okay, are we thinking this as more of like a superpower, which you can just choose when it when it happens, or is it just like a normal sense that's always on? <laughs> well, all the time? that's that's the interesting question about it. Because if you wanted to be able to be selective about it, like you could go, I'm going to listen super hard, or I'm going to look really carefully at this, turn on all vision mode. But if we did this with um, uh, augmented stuff, so let's go back to the realm of reality here. Um, if we made a sensor or a robotic eye, an artificial eye, which we are mm. working on. Making that be able to see infrared, you could or other other vision types or electromagnetic radiation. That would be very possible. You'd be able to have your your eye be able to see all the different colours and understand them. Yeah, that'd probably be the best and most likely way of me achieving my infinite rainbow. But uh, you would actually need to lose your current eyes, so that's probably mm. less good. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a thought. Well, think about it. But it's a really interesting prospect, because then you have to think about ways to describe colours that other people can't see. So you've thought about having to describe colour to a dog who can only see in limited range of colours. Well, that's another thing. It's really difficult to, I guess, understand or know that if what the colour that you currently see is the same as what someone else is seeing. So what I might see as red might not be the same thing that Lauren sees as red. It might, but I'll never know. We'll never be able to truly know. Unless uh, we, like, share our minds Yeah, in general, un- unless we did some design. kind of neural handshake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, this is in Pacific Rim. Uh, one day. One day, Lauren. <laughs> what about you, Lauren? What sense would you like to have that's not rainbow infinite uh, vision? Well... Are we talking about building on the five senses we already have? Don't have to. Them... It could be something new. But what, what other new sensation would you like? That's a really hard question. It's kind of like one of those, what superpower would you like, except... Based on science fact. Yes. <laughs> what about, uh, was it, like, sharks, their ability to sense electrical signals? Oh, that would be really cool. I don't know what I'd ever use it for, though. You'd be able to know Detecting where... Detecting prey? <laughs> my prey is 500 meters in front of me yes if Lauren was eating things that were were alive yes <laughs> otherwise she'd just be detecting her charger and her mobile phone it would be great for finding my mobile phone then uh, I would never lose it I'd know where it was you wouldn't be able to sleep because like your clock and your phone and all 
you know, all of your gadgets around you in your bedroom would you just be just, tingling you yeah, the entire time. You'd just be like constantly aware of them. <laughs> you'd be like trying to sleep when there was like music playing loudly or the lights were on. My shark senses are tingling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, that, that's a very interesting way of thinking about it, but you can actually probably achieve something similar by having a suit or an outfit that is reactive to electric fields. And then that would create the sensation on you just much the way that the same way a shark does. So that's actually really technically possible right now. I don't know why you do it, but it's actually quite feasible. <laughs> it's more achievable than Jen's suggestion of a new eye, <laughs> as it's just something you wear as opposed to something that you have to replace one of your existing organs. Gouge out eyes. <laughs> so that, that's a really interesting thing to think about the ways you could enhance or extend senses and whether or not they'd be feasible. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. On this week, we challenged our senses, talked about making fake hamburgers from lab-grown proteins, ways we could trick our senses with fruit, and using new senses to help us detect things in the modern world. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.